Well, the Rays experimented with fake crowd noise in Thursday's inter-squad game. We'll tell you what the players and Kevin Cash had to say about that. We need more cowbell. Speaking of the Rays, outfitter Austin Meadows is on the injured list, he confirms, with coronavirus, as uh, suspected. And the NFL and their players' union still are no closer to an agreement in terms of the COVID-19 era with uh, protocols. The Chiefs and Texans players are scheduled to report on Monday. And a big story in the Washington Post about 15 women who have come forward and were employed there alleging sexual harassment, among other things. We've got all that and your mailbag questions answered 100% correctly on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. And Steve, uh, since we've last chatted, Shaq Barrett, the Bucks outside linebacker, wound up signing his one-year franchise tender. He was unable to reach a deal by Wednesday's 4 p.m. deadline on a long-term extension. Not surprising uh, in the sense that uh, there were about, uh, I think he was one of about 12 players, in fact, that were franchised that did not get an extension. There were some, you know, late um, that did occur. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm i not surprised. It, it's the salary cap that's preventing a lot of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, with the uncertainty of the salary cap going forward, I mean, and we'll get to the report of, you know, the NFL wants a lot, $40 million off future salary cap and players' expenses a year. Um, yeah. It's hard to do long-term deals and big money deals at this point because there's just too much uncertainty. Yeah, and that's what it came down to, and that's why so many other players, I mean, I think other than, say, Dak Prescott, which probably would have been wise of Jerry Jones to try to make that happen, but what Dak's going to end up getting upwards of 35 36 million dollars. Yeah, but doesn't some of year. doesn't some of that not signing Dak to that money mean, you know, Dak's probably wanting closer to Patrick Mahomes money and Jerry may be going, I don't know if you're worth that. I'll I'll go it, another it year. It could or two be. I mean, it it could be. I mean, structure is important, right? I mean, what what is a contract, right? You're going to mm-hmm. guarantee the guy 36 million this year. Um all that matters is the guarantees. So, yeah, did he ask for 100 and you know, 100 million dollars or 400 million dollars? I don't know, and how much of that's guaranteed, and when is it paid out? But but you know, I I just think that Dak is a different animal because he's a quarterback, mm-hmm. um, and because you know you could get into a Kirk Cousins situation like Washington did until sure. you can only franchise him twice, and then he was on to another team, Minnesota Vikings, and then you know ever since then the Redskins haven't have been struggling with Dwayne Haskins and others. I'm just saying that there's a lot of there's a lot of hurt feelings for whatever reason in, in Dallas. Whereas in Shaq's case, I mean, again, he had great timing in that he came in here as a, in a one-year make-it deal, $4 million, had one other, I think, team that looked at him in Cincinnati after spending five years in Denver as a backup to Vaughn Miller and Bradley Chubb and DeMarcus Ware and all these guys. And then he comes in here and he hits it, and he hits it huge. He leads the NFL in sacks. I mean, 19 and a half, greatest pass rush season in Bucks history, I mean, you know, talking about guys like Leroy Selman and Warren Sapp, broke Sapp's record that had been held since 2000, six forced fumbles, all of that. So great timing. You're like the best player that's a free agent on the Bucks team, and then boom, you're going to get franchised, which is $15.8 million, which is a huge raise from $4 million. Um, the bad timing, however, is that you have a 100-year pandemic, and with no – Potentially no fans in the stands or, or very few limited seating capacity for a very long time, if not the whole season, which means that every team can't figure out what the 2021 cap is. And so, you know, that made doing a long-term deal much harder, not just for the Bucks, but for a lot of teams. Uh, I don't I don't know, you know what the talks were with Shaq Barrett. There, That's a guy, though, that, 
you know, it won't hurt the Bucks to see if he can do it again. And I don't mean lead the NFL in sacks, but if he's a double-digit sack guy and he does it two years in a row, he's 27, um, they can either franchise him again or work on a long-term agreement with him after this year. So it's bad for Shaq Barrett because I know he wanted, you know, his generational, you know, $100 million, which he felt he had earned. And you can't blame him for thinking that way. Um, but it is what it is. And, and that leads us to the next problem, which is, the NFL and the players union haven't agreed to a whole lot here. And, you know, uh, from preseason games, whether they're going to play them, not play them, uh, in particular, and this should shock nobody, they're arguing about money. Um, again, the potential of starting this season, you know, there's, there's safety protocols that they need to put into place with respect to testing, how often, how quickly are those tests brought back, um, and all that sort of thing to make the players feel safe once they get to training camp. Um, but in addition to that, because they're not going to have fans and potentially a huge loss of revenue, uh, not just with the preseason, but uh, going forward with the with the fans in the stadium, you could lose somewhere between 60 and $80 million per team. And so what that does is that lowers your salary cap significantly next year um, by about you know $60 million a team or so or more than that. And so what the NFL wants to do is they want to defer like 38% of, of all the players' salaries, um, you know, uh, past 2021. And in order to make up for that money, the players, they don't want to do that. They'd like to spread it over 10 years. So they're, they're, they're arguing about that. It's, it's, you know, again, I think you get the best deal the last day, as it turns out, because the Texans and the Kansas City Chiefs are supposed to play that Thursday night game, week one of the season. Um, they've got rookies coming in on Monday, and they they don't have an agreement, which means, I guess, Steve, they would have to go as if everything were, you know, were agreed to. Um, they're under contract, so I, I don't know how this is going to ultimately work out. Well, I would guess that the owners wouldn't let them in at that point. I mean, you can always come to an agreement to push it down the road a week or push training camp back. Yeah, I mean, right. You can do that without coming to a final agreement on protocols and all that. And that's what I expect. I expect a delay here. Because, I mean, you know, one of the issues is, you know, the players start coming back in and get hurt, you're on the hook for that. Yes. Um, and if you don't have a deal for this year and stuff, I mean, I, I can't imagine that You'd let them that in. The players yeah. are coming back into the building until mm-hmm. an agreement is reached or right. a, a, an understanding, you know, whatever they want to call it. And yeah, in safety protocols, like what are we doing? You, you're going to test us. Okay. What kind of test? How often? Um, you know, who's in the building with me? Um, you know, do I have to go through meetings? You know, there was talk that the, some of the players wanted to continue virtual meetings and spend as little time in the facility as possible. So, they, I mean, these conference calls have been going on for several weeks now. We, the NFL has known that they had a, you know, July 28th uh, full squad starting date and then rookies before that. Bucks rookies are supposed to report next Wednesday, I believe. So we're, we're here. You know, we're right on the cusp of the start of the NFL season, at least as the offseason goes or the uh, preseason, I should say. Um, and so, you know, it, it's uh, – it's just a, it's just kind of a mess. But again, um, I still think that you know deadlines have a way of making people, you know, well, sort it, of. It takes two to parties agreement. to come to an agreement. It's not like right. Right. you know you can't just sit there and say the NFL didn't do anything. I mean, you know, it, it, you have no. it takes two parties to agree, and neither side feels compelled until you have to. I mean, you know, yeah. at this point, all of sports has been kicking everything down the road. They've you been know, kicking a can. The man. NHL got an agreement, including a CBA extension done. Right. You know, but 
and they had to push the season back even further than they wanted. But you know, to get that done, they did. So you know, mm-hmm. you know we'll see. I mean, deadlines have a tendency to push these things forward, mm-hmm. as you said. But or you or you move the you move the goalpost. Sure. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, you know, at this point, you, you know, we we're starting to wonder. You know, is there going to be football in September? Right. I mean, you know, we look at colleges and and well, yeah, that's looking. That's... College is looking very rough right now. To definitely in September, but even to play at all, right? Um, USF just lost an opponent. What their right. home opener? Uh, it was the MEAC conference isn't playing this fall. Mm-hmm. Yep, they were supposed to open with Bethune Cookman. Uh, their next game, I think, was going to be at Texas. We'll see if uh, the Big Twelve goes to an all conference schedule, which is more and more conferences that that still intend to play are doing. So that'll affect them. Um, yeah, college is a different animal because you, you, you have students in many places, many states that aren't permitted back on campus or be doing e-learning, uh, that sort of thing. And then how do you, how do you then take student athletes, right? The hypocrisy of college sports we've talked about and tell them that they've got to come in and, and, and practice and do all these other things. And, and oh, by the way, maintain your, uh, your grade point average as well. So, um, and they don't have representation. You know, that's the difference is this is a big business of college football and, you know, their employees, so to speak, students slash student athletes don't have anybody representing them. So that's that's going to be kind of a mess. Baseball, however, has figured out to at least get what are we uh, T minus one week from today is opening day for the Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah, the uh, Yankees and Nationals will be six days. They'll be Thursday yeah. next week. So, I mean, it's right here and I've spent. A couple days, um, you know, at the Trop, watching the Rays practice, watching um, an inter-squad game on Thursday. And I'll tell you, it's impressive that these guys have taken uh, so much of this so seriously. I mean, um, I've never had to do it, so I'm, I'm not really sure what it's like. But they've they've had to give up a lot, you know, of, of just what is routine for them, whether something as simple as sunflower seeds or or tobacco or whatever, um, you know, uh, going to their mouth on the mound, that sort of thing to, you know, they're wearing masks, some of them, uh, while they play in the infield or behind home plate, which is, seems like an incredible thing to do if you're a catcher wearing a mask and a mask over uh, your face as well. Um, Joe West was there on Thursday as the umpire. He uh, he got a shield, sort of a plastic shield inside his mask that was uh, – uh, that was sent to him. Actually, got arrived a little bit late, and they put it in. Um, so, I mean, these guys are being very careful to, to try to stay away from each other when they're not, obviously, when they're not, uh, you know, chasing fly balls together, that sort of thing. And um, and 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 they're playing baseball. They're playing. They played what amounted to really a, a seven inning inter squad game, and uh, it was competitive. It was funny because it was the first day that they experimented with in stadium sort of fake crowd noise, you know, that ambient sound that you hear, kind of the buzzing sound you hear when you have a building kind of full of people. And I make all your Rays jokes now because the Rays never have a building full of people and there's never any noise. I get you. I, you know, I get all that. But, um, the, you know, the, the organ, you know, the, the mm-hmm. stadium organ, the announcements, the walk-up songs, they did all of that. And even, you know, when somebody would make a good play or there would be a big hit, home run, I think Mike uh, uh, Brasso, uh, you know, Hilmered, um, and and then the crowd gets loud and they played the played the horn, you know, the, the, and, and the whole thing, and it had the sound of a game. I mean, it was the sound of baseball. And when you talk to the players, 
who have been out there and played simulated games with, with this is the first nine on nine game they had played, but they play simulated games without outfielders and things like that. Um, and it was dead silence. They're like, Oh, this is much better. <laughs> you know, they, they, they actually, you know, immediately picked up on the fact that it sounded like baseball, you know, that you need, you need something like that to get the juices flowing. Um, you know, it's a little Pavlovian. You just, you just, you know, you hear the organ and the walk up songs and the, you know, the charge, although no one's there to yell charge, which is a little awkward. Um, but all those things, um, you know, it was, it was like a first day uh, to try to experiment with them. And it, it actually went pretty well. And I think I think that'll translate over television. I know, you know, the NFL has talked about, um, you know, sort of using the Madden sound soundtracks. You know, um, I, I know that MLS, I haven't, MLS has done that as well, I believe. Or maybe it's, maybe it's the European leagues. I'm mm-hmm. not sure. Um, but it, it works, especially on TV, but also in house, also in stadium, because I mean, you're in an empty building. There is really outside of a few media in the press box far, far away. Uh, and there'll be some, you know, there'll be some players that are quote unquote inactive, I guess you would say that'll be, you know, behind the dugout or whatever, um, from both teams, but pretty much, you know, it's just the teams and, and the umpires and the managers and coaches, but it was competitive. It, it felt like baseball. They got after it a little bit, and um, it was cool to see. And I'll tell you, the the one thing I don't know about the Rays, and I've only seen them like a few innings, right? Simulated game, and then today, uh, or I'm sorry, on Thursday. And and the one thing I'll say is like the offense would worry me still, <laughs> um, especially early in the year because I don't think these guys by the time they they start playing, they'll have all have had about forty forty five at bats. Now, granted, they're hitting against their pitchers, and their pitchers are very, very good, right? So, I mean, you're going against the, the guys on your staff. You're not going to see that many more guys that, that throw, you know, that have as good as stuff. Um, but, you know, they, they banged out about six hits for both teams in seven innings or so. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it just – I could see where, you know, you're going to need some hot bats early on, right? You're going to need some guys to get hot and and have a good, you know, first four weeks of the season because there's only 60 games. But um, one of those guys that did that a year ago was Austin Meadows, and and now I guess it's been confirmed, Steve, that uh, the reason why he hasn't been present Mm -hmm. is because he did get coronavirus. Yeah, he's been placed on the injured reserve list or the injured list. Uh, Mark Mm -hmm. Topkin reported that on Thursday night. Uh, He he did give permission for the Rays to release that information. Baseball is Mm -hmm. not releasing that information unless the player – agrees right. to it. So uh, he's been placed on, I, I think Aaron Loop's been added to the roster uh, in the interim. But yeah, so that's why, and it's kind of what we speculated with Austin Meadows, but you know, he's been out for what, 12 days or something like that. Yeah. And I think you have to uh, be quarantined for 14 days and have two negative tests in order to come back. So I don't know where he is in that process. We saw Tyler Glass now come back on Tuesday and he had been out um, and done the same thing and had two pot, had two, um, a negative test uh, in order to uh, to come back uh, to the team, but he'd been working out. I don't know. I assume Meadows might be able to do some things. We don't know, and that's the thing. You're going to have players, I think, Steve, throughout the year. I mean, this thing is, you know, hopefully once they all get past, you know, the the you know the original indoctrination um, when you're allowed to begin with the other team and, and everybody there in in the uh, in the clubhouse, you know, has a clean bill of health. Then it's up to the players themselves and their families um, to try to maintain, you know, that cocoon, if you will. They're not going to 
they're not going to separate them and isolate them the way the NBA and, and, and the NHL will. Um, so it's really going to be up to the players, but, um, you know, the, I, your guys are going to get it. I mean, guys, you know, it's going to happen. You're going to be without and Austin Meadows is a key player that they need to start the season with. And you'll, you'll find out where he's at when he gets back there. But, uh, I said this about Tyler Glass now, who I saw pitch, he was lights out. I mean, that guy hasn't skipped a beat. I mean, they have pitching upon pitching. They have guys that threw um, Thursday that probably won't be with the ball club or at least, you know, the the 40 man or, or whatever they're going to do, the 25 man um, when the season starts. But they'll they'll be around. And, and I mean, they just have so many great arms in that organization. And, and if pitching matters, even in a 60 game season, I think it will because these guys won't be all that stretched out. They'll be able to go about 75 pitches, maybe six innings at max. Um, you know, I think the Rays are in pretty good shape there because they're loaded with it. I mean, they really are. And they, they got versatility throughout the lineup. Guys can play everywhere. Um, you know, it's it's impressive to watch them as a team. And we got to see a little bit of an inner squad game, which was fun. But uh, I'm ready for baseball. I mean, it's these guys have managed to to work out. Um, you know, they're starting to ramp it up now with games. They're going to play some later in the day, uh, into the early evening these next few days, and uh, they you can they they can start to sense that there's going to be a season. And and I'm I'm really excited to see if they can complete it. But I I do think it's going to start, and it's going to start a week from today. And before we get to your questions, uh, big story in the Washington Post. This has been it was weird for me to see um, people tweeting about oh big big news coming, big story coming without them actually disclosing what it was. Turns out it was a big story. It was the Washington Post um, published a story where uh, you know about fifteen female employees, more than a dozen women, had had alleged sexual harassment and verbal abuse by the employees at Redskin Park and. This went all the way to uh, you know to the management level, obviously Alex Santos. And you remember just a few days ago, maybe this week, um, some guys were fired. He's the uh, director of pro personnel. Last week he was fired. Um, you also had Richard Mann the second, the assistant director of pro personnel, who lost his job. Dennis Green, the former president of business operations, lost his job. Uh, you had Larry Michael, one of the longtime uh, play-by-play voice, I think. The Redskins retired, um, so he got out. All these guys were named, um, you know, by these women uh, as having, you know, either, you know, harassed them with sexual harassment or abused them verbally or something. And Daniel Snyder has a big problem in that organization. And even though, you know, Bruce Allen, who was the GM there uh, and president for years, is no longer with the club, Nobody accused him of anything improper, but they said that, you know, he sat, you know, so close to uh, where many of these women were, you know, visibly upset and crying in the office that he should have known uh, that it was just a culture, you know, that they had in the building. And, and it goes to the ownership. It really does. I mean, that's that's your your franchise. You're the one that sets the tone. Uh, Daniel Snyder has not been an easy guy to work for. I've known a lot of PR guys that have been through there. Um, you know, he can be very tough. Uh, and, and I just think that, um, you know, this is not going to reflect very well on him. And so now you have Ron Rivera, you know, who, who left a situation in Carolina where the owner, uh, was, was part of that. Some of those accusations wound up selling the football team and Jerry Richardson. And so, you know, Ron is familiar with this sort of thing. Not, not that he ever participated in it, but, now he has more than just the culture of the football team to worry about. He also has to inherit this mess. 
And but you know, if you want a guy to go in there and clean that up, oh yeah, he's the guy you want. He's the one. Yep. I mean, you know, he'll handle this, and and you know, it, look, when they hired Ron Rivera, you know, there's always been talk that that culture up there, and mm-hmm. you know, more from a football ops, not necessarily from this type of standpoint, was right. a mess up there. And you yes. knew when they hired Ron Rivera that they were looking to change things, and that he mm-hmm. would take charge and, and do that. Well, now he's it's probably a bigger job than he thought as far as cleaning up some of the stuff there. But right. you know, if there's a guy you want, I want him there. Yeah, I've known a lot of people that have worked in Carolina when Ron was there. They love Ron. Um, he is who he appears to be, and uh, it's unfortunate. Look, I, it's a tough. Uh, you know, I shudder sometimes when, when uh, you know to, to see what females have to endure working in sports. I mean, and, and we all, we don't want to be silent about it. You try to say things to people when you see it. Um, you try to, you know, try to support them when you can. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a little more widespread than people realize. You know, I don't think it's unique necessarily to the Washington Redskins, although obviously their culture is just horrible. Um, but I would just say that, you know, in general, it's a tough it's a tough business to be in, and you can become disillusioned very quickly um, by some of the things that uh, have happened in the past, and unfortunately kept happening in Washington. So, did you see the Rachel uh, Nichols news today? I did not. So, she's I think she's in Orlando for the okay. NBA at this point. In so a ho- she's quarantined. She's basically. in a hotel, but they've got a camera set up in her hotel room so she can do live hits and do her show and stuff. Yeah. And apparently four minutes of a video that allegedly was that has 30 minutes of her on the phone. You can't see her on there, but it's rolling through that camera that someone then recorded on their camera back at ESPN, allegedly, (sighs) of her backstabbing people and this. They sent it to Deadspin. Deadspin did not run it. Oh, Um, no. But, you know, now I don't know if it's because she's a woman. You know, you you mentioned how hard it is for women in sports, but it's – yeah. You know, they were, you know, she was on so the it's an phone. open mic. She was situation. on the phone with someone higher up at ESPN talking about personnel issues and this, that, and the other. And they sent some of the video to Deadspin. Oh, goodness. Um, you know, presume, you know, you're assuming it's a producer or somebody back at ESPN. I, they don't know for sure. It was anonymous, anonymously sent, but. Right. Well, that's, that's a shame. And I know Rachel, she's worked her butt off and she does a great mm-hmm. job. Um, so I, I don't know what that's all about, but yeah, that's, that's unfortunate. You gotta always assume it, it's always assume the mic, the mic is on even when you walk away, I guess. Um, which is what I do with you, Steve. I always make sure that I turn my mic off when this podcast is over. Is that what you do? <laughs> I try. <laughs> <laughs> I know I don't always do it. Um, no, I've got uh, the outtakes during the show that happens. Oh, so. I know. Those are, those are, those are, uh, <laughs> damning enough. I'm sure just from the screw ups alone. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a super light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24. 
Anyway, we've got lots of questions, uh, or at least a significant amount of questions that uh, we can get to on our mailbag now, so let's do that. All right, Les asked, During this sports purgatory, have you discovered that you can live without sports, or are you going crazy every night because there aren't games? I think the longer this goes on, the harder it will be for the NHL and MLB to get their fan base back. Your thoughts? Um, no, I miss sports, and obviously it's my business, so that might be part of it. It's my passion and always has been since I was a little kid. Um, we never had in this nation, you know, even in World Wars, where it's shut down like this universally for this long. So I, I, think, it's, I think it's difficult. I think it, it's a, a, a welcome distraction. Uh, I think it's galvanizing and unifying in, in many communities. You know, people um, generally rally around their, their teams. It's something to, uh, to look forward to. And during this pandemic, we have so little that we can plan. You know, we can't plan to sit down and watch a baseball game, which we took for granted. There were 162 of them. So if you didn't watch one one night, well, there was one the next night as well. And so now, you know, I think we all have new perspectives about it. As far as which sports suffered the most, I mean, look, the NBA had played their entire season. I mean, this is really just a tournament. And, you know, typically their their season would have been over. Hell, their new season would start in October. I mean, they're closer to the start of a new season than they would be uh, contemplating playing any more games this year. So uh, that's true of hockey, too. I think baseball needed to come back. I mean, they they had been suffering going into it. They certainly were suffering, you know, during, um, you know, the negotiation period. Uh, finally, they settled on playing 60 games. They could have played way more than 60. They could have had the television to themselves in terms of sports. And, and, you know, fortunately for them, when they did come back, that's when all the cases spiked in various cities and, and states, especially along the – you know, the Southeast and Midwest and Met West and, and such. No fault of theirs, but I'm just saying, um, you know, for, for all the, the delays and sort of trying to figure out how they were going to do this and how much money there was going to be made and um, things got progressively worse in society, which is going to make it hard on them. But um, I, I don't I, – I, I, think, I think sports are a welcome relief, and I think people, people will appreciate them more in some respect. Yeah, you can learn. I mean, certainly it's not the most important thing. I mean, you know, people have been around their families more. They've had to find other outlets, whether it's exercise or movies or TV series. And yeah, you could discover something that replaces it. Um, but I, I will appreciate the performance and not take for granted the fact that you just think it's always going to be like this year after year, season after season. You know, I think athletes, um, look what they've lost. I mean, not just in terms of revenue, but years, years in which they can play, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, so it's, it's been humbling, you know, and, and, and something that, um, I don't know, I'd go the other way. I, I, I miss the sports more than learn how to live without them. I think that to, in my opinion, I think the teams you're a fan of, you'll watch right. more. Yeah. You won't want to miss a lightning game, a Rays game, a bucks game. That's right. I wonder if the casual game that you watch if that means as much to you anymore, just well, maybe keeping not. on, you know, a Tuesday night baseball game against in the, you know, the angels yeah. and the, the Cubs or something. I mean, you know, yeah. Or, yeah. you know, do you watch every single NFL game that's on? I mean, you know, I, I wonder how that part of it gets. Uh, if people haven't found other, th- I mean, like I said, you know, for the you know USF or the bucks or, you know, whoever your teams are, I think, I think it becomes more hungry for, I wonder how the casual, 
watching goes of, you know, I'll just put this game on it and, and I want to watch it. And I'm going to sit down and watch this game from two random teams that I don't have a rooting interest for. I just want to watch. Well, yeah, I mean, I get that. And I, I also get that no one will, will watch any singular game and say, you know, and not not take it for granted again. I mean, you know, I just mm-hmm. I just think that we don't know when any of this is going to be here, be gone. I think we realize now um, that it can be taken away. And, you know, television is – I mean, you look at the NFL. I think I saw a statistic where 75% of the highest rate is shows on television. Television, all of television last year were NFL football games. Yeah, Sunday Night Football dominates that list. Yeah. So, I mean, but all football games – like. You put a you put a football game on and and like television itself is dependent on those games. So, I I tend to think that uh, the people will really you know enjoy seeing it again. And I I, I don't think it's gonna I don't think it's out of sight out of mind. I think it, I, in many ways I think it'll be the opposite. Like I I can sit down. Well, maybe I won't watch you know the Dodgers and the Reds you know on mm-hmm. Sunday night. I mean I don't know. Maybe I maybe I'll. I've discovered board games with my kids. You know, I mean, there there is that possibility, and it's not a bad thing. But in general, I think I think sports plays and takes an important part of our of our makeup of our American way of life. And mm-hmm. for right or wrong, you know, um, it's missed. And and I know that I will never even going to the trop. I mean, this is as simple as this. Like. We got to go watch a couple practices, right? I got to sit in a press box and just watch guys with masks on um, take batting practice, play a you know a simulated game, and then and then the next time I was out, play seven innings of a you know of a practice game, inner squad game, and it was glorious. <laughs> I, mean, I was, in, I mean, other than the fact that I had to go home and write about about it, if I could have just sat there and watched, I was fine with watching. You know, it was cool. It was like, wow, this is like real sports that I'm seeing. I'm seeing competitive mm-hmm. major league players play a game. And it was, you know, I felt privileged. There was nobody else there but, you know, the media that was allowed to go. And um, and I think I'll always feel like that. I, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an awakening. It really is. It's like don't take, and it, it, this is true, not just with sports but with life, but don't take for granted your freedom, you know. You can plan a vacation again. What will that feel like, Right. What will it feel like to get on an airplane and be able to go, you know, see relatives that are 90 years old, you know, in Chicago, like my father-in-law? I mean, you know, those are all things we we just assume we would always do. And um, looking forward to doing it again, including sports. Well, Anthony asked, with all the hypotheticals regarding fans at Raymond James Stadium, staggered seat entry or staggered entry, seat bottoms taken out, etc., what happens during the inevitable severe weather delays when the fans have to leave their seats and take cover? You want them to figure it all out, don't you? You just got to have all the answers right before we even get started, huh? You're not happy with the $550,000 intercom system in the parking lot? What do you think that's for, genius? March your little butt out there, get in your car, and with those big speakers that they're going to have set up like it's a a drive-in movie theater, they're going to tell you when to come back in the building. So shut up. I mean, really? Really, this is the, I mean, I don't want to wrap the question. I'm glad you asked the question. We want your questions, but holy moly, we're getting really in the weeds here, aren't we? We can't, can we just get past the no-touch toilets and sinks and, you know, um, all the things that, that, you know, that that you have to, you have to abide by now, the hand wash stations, um, you know, just, just all the 
$10.45 million of federal money that they're going to pump into that building to make it safe for you and you're, you're worried about a damn weather delay? Seriously? Actually, I don't know what they do. It's a great question. I mean, they're, not, they're trying to keep people apart. So you're right. If the lightning hits, everybody's running to the concourse. What are they going to do? <laughs> I mean, it is a good question. But there won't be 70,000. It'll be more like 18 or 20. Yeah, well. So you can spread out. You know. All right. Rachel asked, do you think the pandemic could move us towards electronic officiating in many of our sports? Um, I mean, I mean, automated strike zone, then your umpire doesn't have to be behind the catcher to start the play. Well, that's, you know what? That's a great, I haven't thought of it that way, but you know what? That's, that's a great, it's actually a great point because I'm watching Joe West the other day and Joe West was a big guy. I guess he's lost 25 pounds. He's trying to umpire the most games of any player, any, any umpire in the history of baseball. And so even at his advanced days, I think he's in his 60s or something like that. Um, and he's like, you know what? I've, you know how many things I've been exposed to? I'm not worried about COVID, right? He had this big article on The Athletic the other day where it was like, I, I could give you words. And, and yet there's, you know, behind home plate wearing, you know, first a mask and then later they brought like a shield to go under his mask. And I'm thinking, man, this guy really loves his job. He really wants to be behind home plate. <laughs> You know, I mean, I know he gets paid well for it, and, and, and you know, obviously he's made it. You know, he's like I said, going to probably uh, probably umpire more games than anybody in the history of baseball. Think about that. Um, but but it is a good time, you know, because you've got an umpire breathing over a catcher, right? Who also is wearing a mask and a mask. Um, that you wonder if maybe you this is when you start to start to lean towards the automatic strike zone, electronic. Um, sort of strike zone and things like that. It's, it's, you know, with all of these things, it's opportunity, right? Who would have thought, for example, that everybody would learn they don't need brick-and-mortar offices, that we can do all these things through Zoom <laughs> and have meetings and not have to get on airplanes? And Who even knew what Zoom stuff? was a year ago? I, nobody, nobody. And God <laughs> bless the person that invented it. But, um, you know, that and TikTok, which turns out to be a Chinese thing that my, my daughter's going to lose, unfortunately, it seems, and she's not going to want to do with herself. But, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, we've we've learned um, better ways, you know, to uh, to manage our lives and, and be safer. And it certainly would be safer for some of the players and maybe the umpires themselves if there wasn't a guy crouched down behind a catcher, you know, shouting loudly, balls and strikes <laughs> over his back, you know. Um, it's kind of a weird thing when you think about it, you know, um, you've got, I mean, I've always, I wonder, you know, I've always wondered this, like, you know, when you watch tennis, you know, they have the line judges and they have, obviously they got the umpire in the chair and everything. They still have line judges and they call outer in, but you can challenge them, right? Cause they have this thing, Cyclops or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And it can show within a couple hairs of a tennis ball, whether it touched the line or not. Right. And they can slow it down and they can show you. And it's like, but in football, we still have two old men stretching change 10 yards to see if they <laughs> made a first down. I mean, how stupid is that, right? Like, are you kidding me? You can't tell if a ball's advanced past a certain yard line? Put a chip in the damn thing, you know? So I think, I think at some point uh, technology will <laughs> take care of a lot of this and just make it safer and, and probably more sanitary on top of that. But 
Yeah, to answer your question, now that you've got me thinking about it, I think I don't know if it's going to happen this year, but I think you'll see a move towards more electronic stuff and and you know any way to um, you know to make it make it more sanitized if nothing else and and more accurate too. Carl asks, if a safe and effective vaccine is discovered in say two years, do you think we'll ease back into reporting from locker rooms and players getting into old routines with celebrations and trolling in the bars? Well, they're going to troll in the bars as soon as the bars are open. I got news for you there. That's not going to stop. Unfortunately, that's why we're in this case today. Um, they opened the bars too soon, and, every, and young people did what young people do, which is try to get close to each other. Um, as far as the locker rooms, at least in my career, which probably is closer to the December than uh, than the January of it of, of my career, um, I will probably never be in a locker room again, um, simply because, you know, the, the the sanitary nature of it obviously we know more about spreading viruses and, and all kinds of and, and also i think in a way it'll probably be a bit of an excuse too because I've, I've never felt you know pro football writers and other people have had to fight for access we've had to fight for access almost from the beginning you know um it, it's gotten worse and worse and worse every year as social media the advent of that and all all of it but um you know i think the days of us hanging out by a guy's locker when he comes out of the shower and waiting for him to change and, um, or worse yet, interviewing him when he's, you know, soaked with sweat after three and a half hours and he's covered in mud and blood and everything else. I think those days are gone. I think they're long gone. Now, will there be an instance where, you know, there will be a, uh, a room adjacent to the room where they march players in and we can sit in front of them in the same place, the same building, the same room, perhaps, like we have the interview rooms at, at uh, the Bucks facility. I think that might happen again. Um, I hope it does. I hope we can have you know face-to-face meetings as opposed to Zoom meetings, which is what it looks like it's going to be in the NFL. I mean, I don't know that we'll ever be in the same room. In fact, I'm fairly certain that I will never be, at least from a work standpoint, in, in the same room as Tom Brady the entire year. Even if I'm Even if I'm over there, even if I'm able to watch practice and then talk to him after practice he'll be in another part of the building and we'll be watching him on a tv screen and that and it's going to be that way at games it's going to be that way the whole year i mean we i just was you know like i said i spent a couple of days with the rays who did a great job they, they set up a zoom camera and they run you know several players through there plus kevin cash and you know we're in the press box and they're down in the clubhouse and and when we're talking to them and we get the work done but it's not the same as being able to go up to a player leaving the scrum, you know, and, and able to ask guys specific things and, you know, um, form relationships, which this is like most businesses. This is a relationship business, right? That, that you gain trust, not just interviewing guys on, on Zoom or after games, but actually, you know, being able to spend time with them in the locker room, find out about their families, you know, you, you form relationships. They see you as a human being. Um, and, and all of that's real important to gain trust and credibility and those sort of things. Uh, as opposed to just being a face on the other side of a screen that they don't really know. So uh, it's not going to help us in terms of, you know, doing those things and forming those relationships. Uh, we'll just have to find another way. But, I, but I'm, I'm fairly certain, even though, even though I wouldn't mind having access like that again, but I'm fairly certain we may never see the inside of a locker room again, at least, at least in football. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen again. And it's going to be a shame for getting to know these players better. Yes. You know, and Mark yes. Topkin explained it perfectly last week when he joined us. He said, look, there's, you know, 
between the coaches and the players, there's 35 to 38 people on the team. Mm-hmm. He goes, every day I you know, walk through the clubhouse, I'm out of batting practice. I talk to 30 guys. Mm-hmm. It's not always about a story. Sometimes it's, how'd your kid do at the baseball game the other night? Or yeah. you know, how's your wife doing? Or did you watch this game last night? Did you see this play? I mean, you know, it's just it's building that relationship so that the players right. will share information with you. So right. that you can tell the great stories about them, not just right. here's what they did on the field, but that's right. It, it's it's you know getting to know them so they they tell you about this happened in their life or this or, or you know why this means so much to them or you know you name the types of stories where you know the the player has to trust the the writer to do that and, and yeah. if if they, if they don't know any writers then who who are you going to tell the story and we're going to miss out on so many great stories about players. Yeah, I think you will, and and they have other formats for that, and that's fine. But I I, I do think that um, you know, as a reporter, they have to see you as you know, not just the guy that comes after them for a quote all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, you you have to be a human being, and when you when you become human to them, and they to you, you know, because a lot of times there, there's people that start in this business and they're starstruck. You know, mm-hmm. you have to find out that you know what they're just people. You know what I mean? And they've got wives and girlfriends, hopefully not one of each, and kids, you know, uh, real problems and mothers and illness. And they, they, you know, they go through the same things you do. And then that, that common human experience is what bonds you. Um, and you do. You end up having relationships with people that you see every day, that you work with. They see your work ethic. Um, you know, all of that. And, and it isn't always just, you know, I'm coming after this guy and I need a quote. Um, and so those relationships are exactly, you're right. That's what, that's what builds trust. And that's what leads to better stories and allows them uh, to feel comfortable to tell you some aspect of their life that they want to share that you can then share with the readers and that humanizes them. Then they're not just a number and a guy running the football. They're, you know, somebody that's a father, a husband, a, you know, a brother, all those things. And so, uh, that, that part of it's, unfortunate I, I don't think it's over i think you'll have to find new ways to form those mm-hmm. relationships but uh, it won't be as it won't be as easy i know that and um you know i hope i'm wrong i hope there's a time when when they will open the locker rooms again and the nfl and other places will recognize especially in, ba- in baseball that clubhouse opens at three thirty for a seven o'clock game and you know, Mark's as good a baseball writer as there is in the country. And I'm not just saying that because he works for our paper. He really is. And everybody knows it throughout baseball. Um, but he, you know, is able to, to, to watch him work at a locker room is impressive. And they all know him and they all have personal stories about him. And, um, and he knows them and, and he knows their kids and their wives and their, you know, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it, it, when you're with some, when you're with a group of of, of athletes and and people, you spend as, you spend more time with them than you do your own family, mm-hmm. especially in baseball beat writing. And so, um, they come to know you, you know, uh, as as Mark Topkin, um, you know, the man, as much as they do the guy that you know has his byline and, and writes about you in the newspaper. So, all that's important, and I hope I hope that we get back to that one day. I'm not sure it's going to be anytime soon. Brian asks, who will the Bucks do an extension with first? Chris Godwin, Levante David, or Shaq Barrett? Wow, great question. Well, they can't do it with Shaq Barrett until next year. Um, that window closed on July 15th at 4 o'clock. So um, the other men you mentioned, they can talk to them anytime. And 
because they're not playing under a franchise tag. Chris Godwin is in his final year. Um, he'll be a free agent next year. He does not have a fifth-year option. He was a second-round pick. So I would imagine that he will be really, really high of those guys you mentioned on the list. They'd probably be number one. Uh, for all they want to say about Shaq Barrett, they, they, you know, they'd like to see him do it again. Um, and in any case, they really can't talk about an extension until after the season's over. Godwin, they could lock up. And they they know what they have. I mean, he's given them you know three incredible seasons. Uh, was a Pro Bowler last year. Um, you know, you look at a guy like Mike Evans who's going into his seventh season already. How many years is he going to play? So you'd like to have both those guys locked up for as long as you could. But you know, certainly Godwin is a younger player. That's a number one receiver. So if something were to happen to Mike, God forbid, or he moved on, um, you want to make sure you're covered there. Levante David may not be as hard just simply because he's already had two contracts. This will be his third, but he's kind of got the fountain of youth, you know. Um, I don't know that he's going to want to play anywhere else at this age, but they've talked to him about doing an extension. But of of the ones you mentioned, I think Chris Godwin is probably going to be the one that's the next priority because, again, you can you can franchise Shaq Barrett again. You could franchise Chris Godwin too. Um, but they can't really even talk to Shaq about an extension before uh, next year. All right, Les asks, Jameis Winston fires his agent. Did you hear rumblings from one buck that his agent was hard to deal with, or do you just think Jameis Winston was looking for a change? I think Jameis Winston's uh, parents were looking for a change, in particular his father, from what I understand. And I don't know, you know, Jameis was the one that that fired him, um, and you're talking about Joel Siegel, who I, I talked to uh, the other day, but um, look, Joel Siegel is is a super agent, and he's a guy that represents you know mega players and and big name guys, and so he's got lots of quarterbacks, and and I think he enjoyed, I think he enjoyed Jameis, I think he enjoyed representing him, um, but I think the family had expectations that weren't met, and they can they can levy that if they want to on Joel, they can blame Joel. I wasn't part of the negotiations, you know. I attempted to reach Joel uh, during that time when, you know, uh, it looked like Jameis was going to become a free agent, and we heard things like $30 million, and and I gave Joel an opportunity to shoot that down, and he just didn't feel comfortable, um, you know, negotiating in public and didn't want to say yes or no. You know, he just simply kind of ignored it. Um, But we all know what happened. I mean, ultimately – you know, 31 other teams looked at Jameis Winston's tape, and 31 other teams decided that they had a better option at quarterback. In fact, 31 other teams decided that they had two better options at quarterback. In fact, even the New Orleans Saints, okay, with Taysom Hill, think that they have two better options at quarterback than, than Jameis Winston, which is why he's going in there at least to start as their number three quarterback, making $1.1 million, when Taysom Hill, who does other things, granted, um, but Sean Payton has said he deserves a chance to, you know, to to compete for Drew Brees' being Drew Brees' successor, is getting paid sixteen million dollars over the next two years. So, you know, uh, Jameis is is going to take a big hit, you know, financially, but he's doing it to to go to what he described as, you know, kind of like, you know. Uh, the Harvard, Harvard quarterback yep. schools, yeah, and and so he's got Drew Brees, uh, Hill's going to help him, and and he's got Sean Payton, and he's betting on himself, 
And why wouldn't you if you're Jameis Winston? But, you know, I, um, you know, I, I think, I think it was just Jameis's family more than Jameis. Um, he's got a lot of people in his ear and, um, sometimes, sometimes you have to, to handle your own business and, and, as hard as it is, pull away from that advice. Um, if it's not good advice, I know they got their, his best interest at heart, but, um, he'll find another agent. It's not, again, it's not unusual too, for players to fire agents. I mean, there are players that go through several agents throughout their careers. If they play long enough, we'll see, we'll see what happens. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think that one was, was probably on, uh, the folks around Jameis Winston as much as Jameis himself. Sam asks, if you had to put money on one, would you choose Tyler Glasnow wins the Cy Young, Brendan McKay wins Rookie of the Year, Austin Meadows wins MVP, or the Rays win the World Series? Well, I'm already all in on the Rays winning the World Series, so I'm not sure how I can back out of that. But if you put, him, if you put the World Series up with all those other awards, I'm going to go with uh, Tyler Glasnow winning the Cy Young. Um, I don't know. Look, I don't know what Brendan McKay is going to do. Um, he's got talent, you know, two-way player. Uh, will he be one of their five starters? Will he get enough, you know, enough appearances this year to win rookie of the year? I mean, I guess he has the talent. At least they think he does. But he's still a young guy trying to figure it out. I just think that Tyler Glass now, if he stays healthy, I watched him the other day, and this is a guy that had not been out there in, like, you know, since he tested positive, he missed 14 days. He quarantined. He was thrown um, to a screen, you know, and um, they were measuring everything. But he's been working out. Uh, but six foot eight, 225 pounds of just filth. I mean, just throws the nastiest stuff you've ever seen. You know, 100 mile an hour fastballs, um, you know, curves that just paralyze guys up there at the plate. You know, knee buckling sliders. I mean, this guy is, you know, all that, and 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 it matters to him. And he's got energy, uh, and he, he he's tough as hell, and he competes. And I think he has just a great makeup. And when we saw him last year, he was the pitcher of the month in April. He was what five and zero, oh, I think, or five and one, whatever it was. I think it was five and zero. Oh. And uh, you know, and and then of course had the arm arm injuries and then had that extended to 60 days and came back though. And, and, you know, didn't have the innings build up, but pitched pretty well uh, for them when he got back in there in September. But if Tyler glass now stays healthy and this, you know, this, this pirate deal now, and of course we, we know Meadows, you know, you could say uh, if he, you know, he may not start for next Friday, may not be ready. Um, who knows, but he, he will have missed some time. But I'm telling you, man, <laughs> Tyler Glass now, I mean, this guy's stuff is crazy. I, I, I've been watching baseball a minute, and you know that, Steve. You've seen this guy. I mean, his stuff is ridiculous. Just learn to hold your Just, glove in the same spot every time. Yeah, right. That's it. Don't tip your pitches, man. I mean, don't and don't play the Astros. But, yeah, I mean, that's all it is. I mean, he's he's something special, I think. Am I wrong? Am no, I seeing? No, he's, I, he's, yeah, he's, he's got everything you want. In a yeah, the makeup, I mean, the yeah, yeah. it no, his stuff's filthy. It's just it is. I mean, I don't know how you hit it, and even more so. I mean, just think about that question. 
Tyler Glass now or Meadows, you have winning the you know the MVP for either pitching or, or, or rookie of the year. Yeah, you got both those in a trade for Chris Archer plus Shane Boz, who's pitching in <laughs> Port Charlotte, who they really high on. <laughs> no, the Pirates. I got a I got a note from a guy. A guy sent me a letter. I should read it, but I don't have it in front of me. Is in my I should have read it on the podcast. But he's like, you know, he goes, uh, I'm a Pirates fan, and there's nothing worse than to hear you guys talk about. Austin Meadows and Tyler Glass now and you know and he was just going on and on he lives here now but it was like man they fleece them so bad with Chris Archer who's you know unfortunately for him is out um but boy I mean well I remember when that trade went down and you know and, and it's at the trade deadline and so you know word leaks out of trades but you don't always have all the details right away right and it came out that it was I think it was Meadows first Right, and right. And a prospect. It was like, okay. Right. And everyone's like, well, that's, you know, that's, that's Meadows has good. got some upside. Yeah. Then it was Meadows and Glass now, and, and everyone's like, oh, well, they over they overpaid. I mean, that's what all <laughs> yeah. the, the guys who know the, the prospects. I mean, I didn't know Glass now and Meadows at that point. Well, I mean, but, he had pitched parts of two years up right. there. So. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. I, you know, but it was also the National League, so we don't see him as much. No. So, you know, I mean, but they're going, everyone's going Meadows and Glass, and they're like, oh, yeah, oh, the, the Rays got the better end of that trade. And then it was a player to be named later. And you're like, yeah, it'll just be some minor league guy. And then some you know, slappy. then yeah. it came out, you know, hours later, it's going to be a good player to be named later. <laughs> and so you're like, what? And then when it was Shane Boz, everyone's like, what were the Pirates thinking? <laughs> they really liked them, some Chris Archer, man. They really did. Somebody really liked Chris Archer up there in Pittsburgh. God bless. Him. Well, and and you know, the GM up there, and I can't remember the name, but every year at the trade deadline, it was like, are the Pirates going to make a move? Are the Pirates, gonna... and they never made a move. Yeah, and true. I think it was finally we've got to do something because our fan base was just craving for it, yeah. you know. And so they pulled a, a, a trigger and they paid a high price. I mean, you know, look if, if the Lightning, if the Lightning don't do well in the playoffs this year, you know, Julian Breezeball is going to be questioned about giving up two number ones plus a number one pick to get Glass or to get uh, Barkley, Goodrow, and Blake Coleman. That's right. You know, I mean, he paid heavy prices. If if, mm-hmm. if you pay a heavy price and Chris Archer goes in there and deals, then no one, You're you know, fine. I mean, you go, okay, it was a good trade for both sides. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes you take a chance on it. And, and you know, but the Pirates swung big. They, they struck out with it, but that happens sometimes too. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me. And Meadows had an unbelievable year last year, even though he was injured. wouldn't surprise me if Glass now being, becomes the real stud of the group. I mean... If he again, he's a pitcher, so anything can happen, right, with the arm. But I mean, that dude, give that guy a whole season. Yep. Let him throw two hundred innings. Oh man! Don't let him move any statues in the bathroom, though. No, no, that's that's Blake Snell's territory. That's for sure. All right, we'll end on this one today. Buck mm-hmm. North asked, "Who is the best player that you've covered from the three major Tampa sports teams? And has there ever been a player whose career was cut short because of an injury who you thought would have been a star in Tampa?" Um, well, I mean, I didn't cover the lightning, so I, I mean, that, that eliminates a lot of great players, right? Marty St. Louis. I mean, Tom Jones might say that, um, might say Vinny LeCavier or Steven Stamkos, you know, someone like that. Um, for me, uh, you know, look, I, I've done some baseball. Evan Longoria was a hell of a player in his time. Um, Carl Crawford had his day, obviously, you know, David Price with the Rays. The best player I ever covered would be a Hall of Fame player. I didn't get to cover Leroy Selman. I watched him as a kid. I did cover Warren Sapp, and I did cover Derek Brooks. And I would I would say Derek Brooks 
is probably the best player um, from this standpoint that a lot was put on his plate in terms of leadership. And, you know, Sapp was a leader too. He did it his own way. He was very loud and, and um, you know, everything kind of started with Warren Sapp and he, you know, he created lots of opportunities for Derek Brooks playing in front of him. Believe me. Uh, and Derek will tell you that, but you know, Derek Brooks could in his prime pretty much his whole career. Cause I don't think he missed a game. He could do everything, you know, and he was at a time when, when linebackers weren't his size, they were 240 pounds. He was 225, uh, maybe, um, but run cover hit smart, you know, just, uh, uh, diagnose things relentless. I watched him, you know, kind of spy Michael Vick one day. I'll tell you what, man, you're going to go spy Michael Vick. You know what I mean, wherever he goes, I want, I got Derek Brooks and he put Derek Brooks, followed this guy around. They knocked the living hell out of Michael Vick one day. I mean, I watched Michael Vick after that game. He was so beat up, Steve, he could barely walk to the locker room. I mean, he was just pummeled and, and, 80% of it was Derek Brooks. Whether he was trying to run the ball, throw the ball, whatever he did, Derek Brooks was there all day. And, um, you know, he, he was just, he just had everything. He had, you know, the intangibles. That's why they were Super Bowl champions. That's why he was Defensive Player of the Year that year with like four or five touchdowns. Um, so he's the best player. The guy that got hurt, um, there's been a lot of good players that got hurt. I, I'll, I'll say this. I, I don't know if he'd have been a, he was a pretty good player, and he could have been better than that, but it happened early on, and that was Cadillac Williams. Um, you know, Cadillac Williams was maybe never going to be like the greatest running back in the league or anything, but he was really productive. I remember his first four or five games, he had like 500 yards in his first four games, or you know, they sent his shoes and his glove to the Hall of Fame. Um, but then he got hurt early on, and then when he, you know, he had the patellar injury. And that was devastating, and that pretty much ended it. And then he came back, but he battled back from it and then had the other patellar tendon tour against Oakland in what became John Gruden's final game um, because they were 9-3. and They wound up losing four in a row and missed the playoffs, and then a couple you know, weeks later they fired Gruden, shockingly. And, you know, the thing about Cadillac was he wasn't the fastest guy in the world. He didn't have the most power, none of that. He was just a damn good football player and, and really highly productive up up until the point where he got hurt and battled through some injuries. So I'm sure there's others I just can't think of right now off the top of my head. I've watched a lot of football. <laughs> I've seen a lot of guys get hurt. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I would, I would say, you know, I would say Cadillac Williams. The one that comes to mind for me, and I haven't been here as long as you, and Cadillac mm-hmm. was before me, but uh, I always thought Alex Cobb would turn out to be a better pitcher long-term and he ended up with lots of injuries throughout his career that's a great one um you know i thought he had great stuff and and Mm -hmm. you know he got the one time you're gonna get in the head of course and but he had some other injuries throughout and he had a good career but um i always thought his stuff was better than what he ended up putting up career-wise because of injuries and that so he was so snake bit i mean all the time Mm -hmm. he was snake. he he, but the makeup that that guy had like talk about battle you you know, he had like oral Horsheiser makeup. Yep. Uh, not so funny story. The The first game I took my daughter to, Natasha, um, and she was still very young, maybe five or six years old. And um, we went to the Trop, and they were playing somebody really good. 
you'll, I was trying, I don't know who it was actually. You'll remember because you remember the game. And um, it's early in the game, and they hit the line drive. Guy hits a line drive off of his head. And I mean, th- that sound on you never forget. You know, it was just horrible. And he's laying there on the mound, and people rush into him, and uh, we're just all, <gasps> I mean, just the whole air came out of Tropicana Field. And it was a decent sized crowd. It was the Royals. So no one, it was Eric Hosmer hit that. It was the Royals. That's right. It was Hosmer. So, um, but it was a decent, we were down the right field line sitting uh, a good ways up because we couldn't get, good, couldn't get good seats. So um, we're down there a ways behind the bullpen, the raised bullpen. Uh, up up in the crowd and it, and it just gets you know just eerily quiet and my daughter is standing there and she stands up and she goes well he'll never pitch again and i went <laughs> like what <laughs> she was from the mouth of babes yes. now he did pitch again yeah um but it took a lot out of him but everybody i just went oh really the first game you got to stand up and say something like that at this moment <laughs> gosh from the mouth of babes well, she was right. He wouldn't pitch again in that game. He didn't pitch anymore. No. She said never, as in like, oh, okay, like he well. was never going to pitch again. And I thought, well, yeah, maybe not. But let's not say it now. You know, let's let's have hope that uh, he'll he'll be okay. Um, but it was just it was you know just the the kid in the middle of just stunned silence. Right. Mm-hmm. That's her first remark. <laughs> you know, in a ball game, like, well, he'll never. Be. And it was early in the game too. It wasn't even that. She was kind of into it, and the crowd was into it, and all of a sudden, yeah, that was a that was a horrible one. Him and uh, Jay Happ got hit too at, at Tropicana. Mm-hmm. He got line line drive off of him too. I yes, he did. That. Yep. Scary so, stuff. That's yeah. the one thing in baseball, man. That's you know when I thought about that the other day when the Rays when when um, Glass now went out there and they were playing a simulated game where they just have like the infielders and uh, catcher and everything, mm-hmm. no outfielders. And and he's out there, and we hadn't seen him. I mean, he'd be gone. He had had COVID, and he's out there throwing. And there's no L screen. I mean, it's his first day back. And I'm thinking, yeah, I don't know that I want to be standing in front of these hitters right now. You know, with just nothing, just your arm, and and you know. But that's what you do in games, right? You just you get out there and and throw. And then and then he started throwing. And I was like, ah, he's fine. They're not gonna. They're not gonna touch this guy. And they didn't. They looked bad. I'm not telling you, he had some stuff where the guys were just like half swings. Like he wasn't even throwing that many fastballs. I mean, he was like throwing a lot, of, but he had it. You knew, he, you knew that 100 was coming, and um, you know you can't stay off the other stuff. He's just so he's around the plate. I, I'm I'm bullish on Glass now, right now. I really, I like that whole pitching staff. The Rays really have a lot of pitchers that do some crazy. I mean, Chaz Rose. Just the movement on his ball is just incredible. Yeah, uh, Alvarado, yeah. Castillo, and they're all different. I mean, that's the whole thing. Imagine catching that guy. I mean, yeah. you got if you're Zanino, you got to catch all that wicked stuff. Yeah. I mean, they all got wicked stuff, right? And, and then you got like someone like Yarborough, who the movement's not much, but it's just enough to where you never square it up. No, everything you hit hate, off that guy is soft. Used to hate hitting left-handed. We used to call them like guys that threw. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I can't say what they threw, but. Um, <laughs> But they didn't throw hard, so yeah. we would have a name for him. And it was always a left-hander, and it was always a guy, and you could never you, – you'd swing three times and think that you were going to drill this guy. Like, I'm going to destroy this guy. He throws like 85, 89, and you'd get up there, and you'd you know, never get contact on him. You'd beat one in the ground. You'd pop one up. You know what I mean? Those guys would own you. I mean, they just do. They just own you. He's really good. 
He he can spot the baseball though, man. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's that's the the thing about the staff, and I can't remember there was a interesting articles. It was really heavy stats and and yeah, you know, it, it, if Next you're really into gen. that, but how the the Rays pitching staff and how good each of these guys are, and and most of these pitchers are the top two or three in baseball in whatever it is, spin rate or movement yeah. or. vertical movement horizontal you know that you know charlie morton's curve is you know tremendous that every one of these race pitchers in in one aspect of what they do are top two or three in baseball at it but it's it's all but it's all different stuff so it's not like they have five guys that are really good at spin rate or really good at right it's like morton's curve and glass now's fastball and Mm -hmm. you know rose slider and you know it's just it, it, it's it, they're all very good, but all specialized and all different, and it makes it really hard on that opposing lineup because every pitcher yeah. that comes in is really good, but good at a different thing than the last guy was. And so you're, and then when you start with the opener, and and you never face a pitcher more than once in a game, and it just it really throws the the hitters off. Right. No, and they're they're loaded. I mean, they got guys, they got guys all the way through the minor leagues, and and guys you're going to see this year, you know, come in at different times, and um. It's impressive, but yeah, uh, like the race, like going out there this week was fun uh, hanging out with Mark Tompkin for a little bit. We should have some football uh, next week, right? Mm-hmm. Hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. Um, we'll see what happens over the weekend. If there's any calls on Monday, of course, the Texans and Chiefs are supposed to report. So well, less we than got two baseball, weeks from the Lightning, hockey. from yeah, less than two weeks from the yeah. exhibition game for the Lightning. Yeah. I'll be out there later today as the Lightning will have practice again. They had an off day on Thursday. but What's it like out there? Have you been out there yet? Yeah, I was out there Monday, the first day of camp. And uh, it was just, I mean, so I was doing a lot of work. I wasn't necessarily watching all of practice. I, I did catch right. part. But the right. first part, we were doing a TV show on, on Fox Sports on the uh, morning skate show. And so I wasn't fully watching the practice at that point. But it was just yeah, yeah. hearing the, the skaters on the ice and, you know, hearing them stop and, you know, hit the boards and the puck, you know, hitting either the pipes or the boards and and then the Zamboni coming out after the practice and just hearing that was like, mm. ah, we've missed this. I know, again. It was the so sound good. Of sports. Yeah. I know. It's it it's so it's so like energizing again, you know, because we've been without it for so long. I think the lightning are gonna be good too. I think they're gonna be fine. I I, I you know, I think good athletes and good players find find ways to play well, <laughs> and you know that's kind of that's kind of what it is. And these guys are wired to compete. And um, it could be I, I one mean, of the greatest postseasons ever in the NHL. And the, and the reason I be. say this is that, with the exception of a handful of players, yeah, everyone's healthy. That never yeah. happens at the playoffs. That's right. I mean, you've got a couple players that were still out from last season that had surgery that that are not going to be back for this tournament, but. For the most part, every team is healthy now, and so That's right. it's starting. It's almost like it, you know, consider it like NASCAR, who opens with their you know the Super Bowl, the, Super Bowl. the Daytona mm-hmm. Five Hundred. Hockey's opening with the playoffs, kind of. I mean, that's you can kind of think of it that yeah, way. Yeah, really. Uh, is. Now there's a different ramp up. I mean, Boston and Tampa and Washington and Philly in the East don't have a qualifying round to get in, so they've right. got some round robin games to not ease into it, but you know you can. You can either mm-hmm. try some things or, you know, you know, the, one of the questions has been is, you know, are the Lightning going to play their lineup for those three round robin games or are they going to get some other players in? You know, are you going to put a Zach Bogosian or a, um, a Carter Verhage 
someone like that to get some time in before you get to the playoffs round one? Or are you going to go with your 12 skaters, six defensemen that you plan on going with? You know, for those three games, because how much does those games matter? I, you know, uh, we were talking to Ultimately, Dave Anderchuk. They don't. Well, but we yeah. were talking to Dave Anderchuk, and he brought up a good point that do you want to place Pittsburgh in the first round? Right. Because if Pittsburgh's the highest seed in the qualifying round, so if you lose all three games in the round robin, you're playing Pittsburgh, assuming they they get past Montreal. Yeah, you're playing for seeding, so I mean, you know, they matter. Yeah, the games matter. You know, would you rather, you know, or would you rather play anybody but Pittsburgh? Because anytime Sidney Crosby's on the ice, I worry. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and so, you know, would you rather play Pittsburgh or would you rather go play Carolina? I don't know. Last year they had to play Columbus. Yeah. Well, but <laughs> but I, I would argue Columbus was a much better than an eight seed because of the moves they made at the trade deadline. They, you know, the team that earned the right. eight seed wasn't the team that that they ultimately saw in the playoffs. Uh, but at the same time, no, I'll I say know. I'll put the Lightning's roster against anybody in the NHL. Oh, they can beat anyone. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean a healthy I, I, roster. I think... Everyone's healthy. I'll put the Lightning's roster up against anybody, and I'll take my chance. But it's a fine line because I mean, on the one hand, you're in the playoffs. On the other hand, you can't mm-hmm. help your seating, but you don't want Victor Hedman to be out. You don't no. want Nikita no. Kucherov to be out or Stamkos. But you want them to so get enough games to, to get them in rhythm, too, though. They got to be able to play. They haven't played in a long time. They haven't played together in a long time. I, I think it's important they play. Hey, we appreciate you guys listening. We're here every Monday through Friday. Hope you have a great weekend. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times.